And what do we have to say except give you praise and honor and thanks, Lord, for what you have done, how you have given us your word, how you have saved us, all the mighty deeds in the Old Testament and new. You are a God who is worthy of praise. We thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us, your grace, your unmerited favor, giving us of those things we don't even deserve. For you are good, and there is none like you. We would pray, Lord, that you would bless us with more insight and wisdom, what it truly means to follow you as a disciple, that we would not shirk our responsibility, but we would give ourselves headlong into the endeavors that you approve of. So help us with that, Lord, as we read through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm just going to continue on the discipleship wagon, so to speak, that I started on last week, and the importance of discipleship. If you remember, it was Jesus who met with Paul, Paul who met with a bunch of people, but specifically Aquila and Priscilla in this chapter 18, and then Aquila and Priscilla met with Apollos. And Apollos then met with people in the church, and the people in the church encouraged him as well. And I'm sure that's how it ended up spreading just about everywhere. And I made mention last week that in order to really be a disciple, you must have fellowship. If you don't have fellowship, you don't have a way of having a discourse with an individual. And I I don't mean online. That is ad infinitum. If you start getting into a discussion online, especially with somebody who doesn't agree with Christianity, it will never end, and your fingers will become tired of typing. And I I learned that a few years ago. You can say a few things, and then the torrent comes in, and some people agree, and some people disagree. And I just decided, well, I'm not going to do that. It's kind of futile. But being in front of somebody... And having a dialogue with them is the surest way to stay on track as long as that individual is in line with proper doctrine and proper doctrine and proper practice. So we must have fellowship in order to be on the road to maturity as a disciple. And discipleship is an ongoing process of influencing people. Once you find out that something is wrong, something is incorrect, something is sinful... It's our responsibility to point it out, not badger people, but to simply say, no, this is wrong. We should not be doing this. The Lord says in his word or scripture says we are not to participate in this. And we have to also understand or come to the conclusion that you think you do well as you first get saved and you're so on fire and you're witnessing to people and you're separating the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, people who want to hear as opposed to people who don't want to hear. And that's all good. And then as you become more mature, you start to mellow a little bit. Uh, lots of things I do not do now that I'm a little older that I would have done when I'm 17, 19, 21, 25 years old. Just because I don't like being hurt. You know, if you do a lot of things out there that require your physical prowess, uh, you can end up getting injured in what you do. Well, same things happen sometimes spiritually. Spiritually, you'll fall back, not backslide, but you'll just fall back. You maybe won't be so vocal or so outgoing for Christ. You just mellow a little bit. And 
God wants us to just keep on pressing forward, press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, since it's an ongoing process of influencing people, we want to make sure we find individuals that we're able to influence. And once we can have that open door with them, we continue to do so and help them to become reliable. Working with the youth, sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, sometimes they're with it, sometimes they question what's going on. This last week we had a a young man show up who was pretty enamored with one of the girls that's in there and uh, he came a little later and he only heard things in a certain context and I, I happened to be talking about reviewing some of the information that I gave to some of the kids that have just started coming about having proper speech. You know, let no one wholesome talk come out of your mouth, that type of thing. And Ephesians uh, chapter 3 verse 8 where it says, get rid of filthy language. And, and so I talked to them about that and I explained to the kids that were already in there, I said, you know, it really feels good in the flesh to use filthy language. It just satisfies the fleshly desires that are in there. And I explained that. Then this young man walked in. And I ended up quoting again Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. And he ended up telling the girl he was enamored with, he goes, man, I cuss a lot. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. And I, I just don't feel very comfortable with this environment. And later on, the girl texted me and said, you know, he, he felt he was acting a little weird and he'll probably be back. So these types of things, I like, I've, I've instilled this in these girls. The Lord has instilled this. He helped used me and Patty to do that. And and then they go out and they start spreading this information too. And they give the information to reliable individuals. And it's it's great to see how that just keeps on going if you spend the time. But you have to spend the time. We don't want to spend a lot of time with other individuals. We like our phones. How many times have you been in the same family room with people and they're all on their phone? I'm having an event today. Uh, at our house it's my grandson's birthday and I'm just going to look how many of us pull out the phone now it's one thing to get information it's one thing to set a calendar date it's another just to start flipping through whatever and and one of the kids in the youth group he was explaining about the tyranny of the shorts you know what the shorts are on videos it's just like a five or ten second clip and you can get so wrapped up in there and before you know it, an hour is gone because you're flipping through those things. You're just watching them. I think they're on TikTok. I don't have TikTok and Instagram and all of those places. And it can just eat up your time instead of interacting with somebody who might be there. <clears throat> and we want to live a life that is not through the phone, always holding up the phone to video what is going on out there. We want to experience it in real time. So this is an ongoing process about influencing people that Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men, and I would say and women, who will also be qualified to teach others. So we're supposed to give our information away. We're not supposed to hold it for ourselves. Thirdly, it is impossible to grow in your faith without this fellowship without this influencing without this dialogue that goes back and forth 
And so we want to make sure that we simply do not isolate ourselves, that we're meeting with individuals, whether it's in a Bible study or it's in church and maybe a couple other avenues. Now, digressing a little bit, Apollos, I told you last week that his name is given by Apollo, and he was the God that made mortals aware of their own guilt and purified them of it, who presided over religious law. And you can see Apollos, if he's the adept speaker, and he has tremendous information about the Old Testament, he would come in and he kind of matches his name. He was able to convince a large number of Jews, and I'm sure Gentiles as well, to follow the way of Christ. In verse 27 of chapter 18, we won't get into chapter 19 this morning, but we will finish up just a couple of things in these verses. Verse 27, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by the grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So how do you strengthen other people? They went to Apollos and they strengthened him, or he strengthened others, and they encouraged him. How do you do that exactly? Well, you have to open up your mouth. Most of the time, you open up your mouth. Now, specifically, how would you encourage somebody in the church? What would you do for them to encourage them? Well, there's one way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it talks about those who prophesy, those who teach, the forth-telling, not the foretelling, but the forth-telling of God's word. You give them information, verses from the Bible to encourage them. Just as last week, I know Patty was talking to somebody that was kind of discouraged and uh, she directed them to some Psalms and Proverbs and things that might be of assistance to her. <clears throat> but we're supposed to do that. In First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 says, The man who prophesies or everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So if we have the words, we give them to others, not our own, but the scripture, which we have to have the scripture on the inside to begin with. If we have it there, we can give it to other people and encourage them. You know, we're supposed to wait for our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all the more so as we see the day approaching. And we see the day approaching. It's coming quickly. Whether we die before the rapture happens or the rapture comes right around the corner, it will come. And also Psalms chapter 119 verse 50, it says, My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. And so you refer people back to the promises of God in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their difficulty. And also Psalm 119 verse 52 says, I remember your ancient law, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. As I was going through the scriptures this last week, just the stories coming up, one specifically that I'll get into about unity here in a minute, <clears throat> but, but you just see how they banded together and they were unified in what they wanted to do and how they were able to accomplish great things with the Lord leading the people of Israel. And so that's the first way is through prophecies or through his word. We give the word to people. We exercise our spiritual gifts. People get encouraged, especially those with the gift of encouragement. Those who are teachers will give usually a couple of verses or message from the scriptures, a story from the scriptures. And this will bring comfort. Now, comfort is also brought through our testimony. As you get older, you experience so many things. Little uh, vignettes that you can give to people 
or big stories of big events that have happened to you. Things that were uh, encompassing foolishness when you were young and you would tell somebody, don't do that. Don't use that BB gum and you'll shoot out your eye. And I know a kid who shot out his eye, you know, because of that. Or something that really turned out for the benefit of individuals who were around you. Maybe because you sacrificed something, your time or your funds, whatever it might have been. And you can give that testimony to someone else. I've had a number of occasions where I've talked to people, like in my business. I know people in my business and they'll come to me and they'll say, well, so what do you do here? One guy, he, he said, I don't know how to fix this piping problem. And I've had some experience in that, so I showed him how I did it. And he turns to me and he goes, I appreciate you. Okay, that made me feel good. I was all encouraged. But he got encouraged that he's able to solve the problem that was there. Spiritually speaking, the same is true. If you're talking to somebody who is younger than you in the Lord, you're able to give them stories from the Bible. Stories, maybe they're worried for their own life, you know, like this is going to maybe cause me some harm and I I have to be careful. And you can recall maybe Queen Esther, how she went before Xerxes and her very life would have been in danger if he didn't accept her. Just things like that or how David was delivered or maybe how Samson, he wasn't delivered at the very end of his life. And hey, you know, he went on to glory. He was a prophet of God. He was a judge of Israel. And you can go through all of these stories. And you think well, the person who is young, they know that they're not perfect. And you say, don't worry, just keep on pressing towards the mark. If you if you've stumble seven times, a righteous man will get up seven times. You, you can tell them these verses and say, don't worry, just hang in there, keep following Christ, ask for forgiveness of your sins, and he will strengthen you as you ask the Holy Spirit to give you a hand. And he will. And, and so that's what we want to do. We want to make sure that we are bringing comfort through prophecies, through our own testimonies, the things that we go through. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. What this is saying is, when you run across a difficult problem, you just don't know what to do. You pray and you ask God, God, I need some help. I I need to have this worked out. Will you please help me? And you may have to wait a bit. You may have to uh, only wait a little bit where God just solves the problem. Or you may have to wait weeks, months, or even years. Once you receive the answer, once the comfort comes to you, you're able to store up that testimony and give it to somebody else. That's what 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 3 is talking about, 3 through 5 in there. And you want to remember that. Now, don't just always be offering the comfort without necessarily a request. A lot of times we want to go out there and just give the counsel. You need to do this, and you need to go forward this way. And people, sometimes they don't want to hear it. Sometimes people just want you to listen. Listen what they're going through. Just be a friend. Sit down, and if they turn and they ask you, I've, I've noticed it's really helpful when somebody is talking, just to zip it. Don't say anything at all. Sometimes I don't even go, mm-hmm. I, I just listen. I let them get it all out, and once they get it all out, then I wait for them to say, 
what should I do? Or do you know anything like this that has happened before? Or maybe they don't say anything. And you just pray for them. You just put your arm on their shoulder and you just say, I'm going to pray for you. And that's the end of it. But all of those things can bring comfort. You don't want to force feed somebody that isn't hungry. So keep that in mind as well. So we want to make a habit of talking about the word with fellow believers when the opportunity presents itself. We want to be faithful in this commission of our duties. Each of us has a spiritual gift. We want to be operating in that spiritual gift. And now when we're sent out to minister by Jesus according to our gifts, if we refuse to do so, or if we grumble or complain about that, we actually become a burden to everyone else around us. Now, I'm going to clarify what I mean by this. If you have a particular gift, if your gift, say, is the gift of encouragement, and you have the ability to encourage a rock, and the rock feels better that day and just rolls down the hill happily, so to speak, you can find people who need encouragement, and if you decide, I'm just tired, i got a lot going on in my life, I could use some encouragement here, and I don't have any time to encourage anybody else. If you do that, you're restricting the ministry of the Holy Spirit and in the body of Christ. That is where we are called upon to die to ourselves. You've heard me mention this before about moving people. If somebody moves, uh, we've done it in the past where a bunch of guys show up with trucks. Sometimes we've had five or six trucks and we move a whole apartment, two or three bedroom apartment in one load. We, we just put it all in there and we carry it all in and we're done in just a couple of hours and one guy told me at one point he said I'd rather be killed left in a ditch with mud on my face than move somebody you know it's like okay come on you can do this it's not that bad they, they just don't like it you know because all the problems that happen they're not ready or whatever the case might be and you can be a real blessing to that individual especially if they have the gift of helps or the gift of craftsmanship, or the gift of encouragement, all of those things. And if people say, nah, I, I don't want to do it. it. It's almost like children. Children, and I have a couple of small children right now in the house. Just nonstop. It is just nonstop. You know, as you get older, you go, this is tiring having these little ones just running around everywhere. And they're two and three years old, you know, so... They're just continuing. Well, what if I just said, I'm not doing anything. Just go ahead. Go hurt yourself. You know, <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker the other day. Did you die? No. You know what that means, right? If you didn't die, then you're okay. A little blood? Huh? Is there blood? Okay, I'm not going to worry about it. So you let the kids just run around. If you do that, there's going to be problems. You can't. You have to get up. I look at my son-in-law. He's so tired all the time I have to get up and take care of the kids and okay and he does it with a you know halfway smile across his face it's just that time of life but it's difficult and, and if in the body of Christ if we fail to do that I'm just tired I'm tired all the time when am I going to get a break you think Jesus was ever tired you know he was he was in a boat on the sea of Galilee and the storm was raging and he was sleeping what's the idea with that but he woke up and he ministered to his disciples who were in the boat. So if, if there an opportunity arises, don't 
think to yourself, no, I, I don't want to do that right now. And you get the blessing. You get the reward in heaven if you do that. So each of us has a gift. And when we exercise that gift in the body is encouraged and it is built up. And Aquila and Priscilla certainly could not be called sluggards or lazy in this respect. They could not be accused of being inactive in the pursuit of their service of Christ. And what did they do according to the scriptures and how did they continue in their discipleship? Well, Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife team, they opened up their home in whatever city they were in for the church to meet. That's one of the things that they did. Now, we've had home fellowships in our home. I think a few of you in here have. And when you have a home fellowship in your home, and we had it in our home when our kids were small. So you got to round up the kids, and sometimes you'd teach the kids. Sometimes it was only our kids, and we'd put them to bed, and Patty would handle that, and we'd do the worship, and you had to have the house clean and everything organized, and you had to have the snacks and the drinks and all of that, and people coming in, and coffee spilling on the new carpet, and you know, just all of those things that would happen inside a home fellowship. And, and you get all done, and sometimes people want to talk, and then they want to talk for an hour afterwards or two hours afterwards we had home and fellowship and there was a few times 11 or 12 o'clock at night we're giving counsel to somebody and we could have said i'm done with this people sheeple yeah they have some problem they're god's people and he loves them and you can open up your house now hundreds of thousands maybe even millions of christians have done this where they've met in the homes but it can be a burden unless you keep your focus on Christ. But that's what God wants us to do. Just like Aquila and Priscilla, both in, appears in Corinth and Ephesus, they opened up their home and they served the people who came to hear the word of God. That's the example that Aquila and Priscilla left for us. Also, they risked their own lives for the sake of the gospel. Romans tells us this. They put their own lives in peril just so that they could make sure the gospel was going out. The persecution of the church at that time, especially in Rome, that's why they left Rome. And there were problems with that. And the Christians throughout history, there are more Christians persecuted today than there have been all throughout history. And we need to remember to pray for them and what they're going through. Now, they were co-laborers, a husband and wife team. <clears throat> it, it's difficult if you have two Christians and one says, I want to, and the other one says, I'd rather not have it. I don't want to. That's a conflict. And, you know, biblically speaking, the counsel is the husband leads in this particular area. The wife gives counsel, but ultimately submits to the desire of the husband. Doesn't complain about it. If he wants to serve in some capacity, being co-laborers. Sometimes that's just not possible. And that's where grace comes in. And that's where the man, the husband, just simply says, okay, Lord, you know. You know the desire of my heart, what I want to do. Or vice versa. It might be the woman who says, I really want to serve in this area, and I think you should be serving there too. You, you could see a woman doing that, right? I think you ought to do this. That's how women are. <clears throat> and the men are going, what do you mean, me? What, what about you? And they go back and forth a little bit. But you, you get it. They served as a couple. 
They were one in spirit and in purpose. Both Priscilla and Aquila helped Apollos and brought him along. They were also disciplers. They took Apollos. They instructed him, him, instructed him in a more excellent way. Remember, he only had the baptism of John. He only knew that the Messiah was coming. He probably knew that the Messiah was Jesus, but he didn't know anything more than likely about the baptism of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and how we're to operate in the church, and the protocols that God has set up for us uh, through the apostles. So Apollos, he was a learned man in the Old Testament. He had a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, according to Acts chapter 18, verse 24. And we know that the word, there is wisdom there. Proverbs 2, verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. In Proverbs 9, I don't have the verse number here. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One understanding. This last week, I'm doing some work in our backyard and I had to use a jackhammer and it was on the 4th of July. Now, in our our cul-de-sac that we live, when I went out and checked, everybody was gone. At the beach or whatever the case might be. They were just gone. So I felt okay about the jackhammer, you know, and I'm out there just going away. And I only had to use it for about 10 or 15 minutes. And Patty comes out and she stands next to where I'm working and she just looks at me. She goes, you know, there's a verse in the Bible. Now, it's nine o'clock. She goes, there's a verse in the Bible said that the man who blesses his neighbor loudly in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. (laughs) and what did I do oh yes gracious and wise all wisdom flows through you my lovely wife that's is that what I said of course it is that's exactly what it no I didn't say that I said it's nine o'clock and I only have to use it for about 15 minutes she goes well I just wanted to tell you so I go outside and all the cars they're gone I go I, I went back and I told her I said see the cars are gone she goes no they were there when you started well, that means they were getting ready. They weren't sleeping in, you know, on a holiday. So anyhow, that we can use scripture like that. And, and there's wisdom in that scripture. Have you ever been woken up early when you didn't want to get woken up early because of some sound or some neighbor or something going on? Put you in a great mood in the morning, right? It's just like the scripture says, it'll be taken as a curse. Now, another illustration of this is uh, the two and three-year-old that are in our household. They don't sleep till 10. They don't sleep till 7. They don't sleep till 6. They're up at 5 o'clock in the morning. It's a good thing I have one bad ear. I can turn the good ear to the pillow and usually not hear it. But, you know, and I don't take it as a curse because, you know, they're mine. They're my grandchildren. It's okay. But anybody else, you know, immediately on the inside it comes up. And the, the scriptures can help us. It can give us wisdom on how to operate. And it tells you how a children and or your children's children are a blessing from him. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full. You can reflect on all of those things while you're laying there in the morning and being disturbed. It also says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom and he gives understanding. And so that's how 
Apollos would be raised up in the word of the Lord and be able to dispense it to other people just as we're supposed to be doing that. And also Apollos, he was open to additional instruction. Now this guy, he knew the Old Testament. He was an adept speaker. And here come Aquila and Priscilla, probably older than him. And they walk up to him, let us show you a more excellent way. And he didn't say, really? He said, okay. And he went with them. He was open to the instruction. And I'm sure he had his own questions. He came back and maybe challenged them on a few things. And then they would provide additional insight according to the teaching of Paul. And so that's how it is supposed to work. Now, with instruction, there are so many verses about instruction, especially in Proverbs. Proverbs 4.13 says, Hold on to instruction and do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Proverbs 8.10 Choose my instruction instead of silver knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. We used to sing that in a song. This idea that instruction is paramount. If you're spending no time trying to learn, we are violating what it says, especially in the book of Proverbs. We are to continue in instruction. Uh, Contractors, a lot of contractors, medical uh, individuals, They have to go for ongoing training. I was listening to an air conditioning company saying that their people get a 100 hours of instruction, all of them, additional instruction every single year. And we're supposed to do that as well, get additional instruction. And it's so easy for us to do. We can either watch YouTube or Rumble. We can sign up for courses online. We can listen to messages where we're constantly getting instruction. So the process of becoming a disciple involves continuously receiving instruction in the word. If we get to the point where we think, I've arrived, I know enough, then we're becoming filled with pride and we're no longer humble to think that we can't learn anything new or learning anything in addition. So to kind of apply all this idea of being a disciple, first thing as a disciple that you would do, this is kind of like the heading over everything else, is you pray. You're supposed to be praying continually, no matter where you are. Wake up in the morning, first thing you should say is, good morning, Lord. May your spirit be with me. I heard one pastor say before his feet hits the ground, he asks the spirit to guide him. So prayer is to cover everything. Then I'll go with number one, since prayer is the blanket over everything. Go to church or Bible study. Now, you know this. You've heard me say this. The scripture talks about it. Hebrews 10.25. You don't want to forsake the gathering together of the brothers. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You, You want to make sure you're involved in fellowship. Especially when difficulty comes, that's where you get the encouragement. Secondly, we're to study to show ourselves approved. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. We want to make sure that we are endeavoring. We're looking up, like last week, I told you to look up the geography of the places that are talked about in the book of Acts. Also look up the words that are there. Look up the names and what the names mean. Uh, and, and that will help you. Like remember who Woody was? Silas. Silas was Woody. He was probably a beanpole, probably a real a taller guy, probably skinny. That that could have been who he was. But it just gives you additional insight into the word. Thirdly, 
You want to train yourself in godliness. Now, I can say, I think, pretty confidently that none of us in here have attained full godliness. I think each one of us has a problem with sin. Each one of us has a fallen nature. Each one of us falls short on a daily basis. But it's something we're supposed to train ourselves in. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with god- godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. So it's something that you have to do just like, I don't know about you, when I get up in the morning, I just want to go. I, I just want to get out. But you have to brush your teeth and put on your socks and the shoes. And it's like just wasting time doing all that. I, I just want to go. But God says, no, train yourself. And and when you train yourself to brush your teeth and comb your hair and wash your face and take a shower and wash your clothes and all of those things, it's like, I hate having to do this. Why can't I just do what I want to do? Well, it's the same thing with godliness. Why can't I just do what I want to do? Because God wants us to be training all the time to be godly. Now, we're also supposed to stand for truth or put on the full armor of God now if you are a believer God uses this metaphor of the Roman soldier in armor you have the helmet of salvation the breastplate of righteousness you have the sword of the spirit feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace your loins girt about with truth all of these things God has given us to be a soldier that is just ready to go and the shield of faith that is there to quench the fiery darts of the enemy that would come in he would try to pierce your mind and your soul with hurtful things and that's how we are to stand and whenever lies come up we want to make sure that we oppose the lie that we speak and that we do not remain silent now with this truth that is out there learning what truth is I have uh, some illustrations of this I'm going to hold them for a minute so we, we want to stand for truth and make sure that people know where we stand. We, we want them to be able to convict us of following Christ. And I'll get to those illustrations in a second. Also, we have to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. I do not like suffering. I do not like the dentist. I do not like being sick. I do not like being hurt in any way. I don't like it. I don't like suffering. I don't like, you know, when you were a kid, did anybody ever bully you? Uh, at some point, there was some kid probably bigger than you that bullied you, whether it was a girl or a boy. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be bullied. Well, when it comes to suffering for the sake of Christ, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That was given to the church in Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, because they were experiencing some of the same things that Paul was in his suffering. Now, this last week, I downloaded a book. I heard a recommendation for a book, and I downloaded a book, and I've been listening to it. And the book is called... Love Your Enemies by Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wormbrand was a Jew during World War II who married a Jew, and they were both 
partiers. They'd like to go to parties. And he was a professor, and he was a young man, and they met up with each other, and it's just having a wonderful life. And then he got tuberculosis, and he couldn't do that anymore, and he went away, and his wife just wanted it to be as it was before, and he eventually got better. And then while he was at the sanitarium, the place, uh, I think that's what they called it at that time, a sanitarium, as he was there, there was a guy who was a Jew that was older and he wasn't able anymore to really go out and witness because he had become a Christian. And so he said, God, bring me a Jew. And he brought this guy, uh, Richard Wormbrand, the professor, and he gave him a book and he started reading this book and it started talking about Jesus in this book how Jesus was a Jew and it was one of his first encounters he had some others but one of his first encounters with the person of Christ and he he just fought it the whole time because after all he's a Jew he cannot follow Jesus because that's like another God that's, that you can't worship another God is what he thought in his own mind well he ended up becoming a believer. He got saved. Not only did he become a believer, but he became a Lutheran priest on top of that. And his wife didn't like it that he became a Christian. Well, she ends up becoming a Christian too. And he spent 14 years in prison because he was a preacher and the communists didn't want him preaching. So for 14 years, and also in bomb shelters, and he helped get Jews out. Now, this is a quote from this particular book, Love Your Enemies. It's, a, excuse me, in his other book, Tortured for Christ. He has another one, Tortured for Christ. And this is a quote of his. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their, being the communist terms, it was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating, beating us. So everyone was happy. Could, what kind of mindset is that? I look at that and go, that is just radical to do that. And that's not, it doesn't end there. This is what his wife said. My wife and I were present at this Congress. That's where he was being questioned and, you know, harassed. And his wife, Sabrina, told me, uh, it says here, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. I said to her, if I do so, you lose your husband. She replied, I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. Wow. I read this stuff and I just go, no, see, I read this or I listen to it and I get encouraged. I go, wow, that is something. That is following Christ like there's no tomorrow. Which of you women in here, if you had a husband, would you say, I don't want to be married to a coward. Get out there and give your life for Christ. I don't care what it costs me. That's what this woman is. She was a Jew who didn't want to become a Christian. And he's the one, hey, they wanted to beat us. We got beat. We were both happy, you know. It, it was like, wow, what a commitment that these two had, this willing uh, to suffer for Christ. And an attitude like this, or if you have attitudes like this, the end result will be 
you become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Not that everybody is called to this particular thing like he was, but it's a sign that you really are a disciple if you're willing to go through that. Also, learn to be discerning. Be able to tell the truth from a lie. Now, how can you do that? Of course, ask for discernment. The Holy Spirit will give you discernment. Unity in doctrine, practice, and culture is what we're supposed to be striving for, right? Disunity in doctrine, practice, and culture will lead to chaos and anarchy. If you know what truth is, we're to hold to the truth, and we know what proper doctrine is, we're to hold to that doctrine and practice inside this church. Have you ever heard the lie, diversity is our strength? That is a lie. It is not the truth. It is what the world talks about. It's this idea of balkanization. Balkanization is where you take a large territory and you divide it up into small little territories. Right now for us in the United States, it's racism. You divide everybody by their racism or intersectionality, which is how much have you suffered? You know, are you poor? Are you a person of color? Uh, have you been discriminated against? All these different things and it adds up and so you have to give deference to that individual over anybody else. And, and that's a lie. We all should be presented with the same opportunities, but we should not have to bow to the same outcomes. So there is this story about unity when it comes to King Hezekiah. Hezekiah invited some of the northern tribes to come down for Passover because they didn't celebrate Passover in the first month of the year because there were not enough priests to conduct the sacrifices. And so he encouraged some of these other tribes to come down and celebrate in the second month, and they were all for it. And it says about Hezekiah that they all rose up and they were as one man. They were as one with one mind as they were going forward. And there are several scriptures that deal with this. It says in Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 12, Also in Judah, the hand of God was with the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered following the word of the Lord. And say they were all in line with what they were supposed to do, the practices of the Old Testament, the following of the feast. They said, we need to do this. And that's how we should be. Whatever church we are in right now or we eventually end up in or wherever God would take us, we should be unified with those people that we fellowship is with. Uh, Psalms 133 verse 1 says, How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. Ephesians 4, 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so the lie of today is diversity is our strength. No, y- uh, unity is our strength we want to be of the same mind that's why there's such a push here in our country to balkanize everybody to get special groups and special treatments instead of being just one you know when it was black lives matter now all lives matter you were persecuted if you said all lives matter and you could be fired from your job if you said something like that i've read testimonies about that we want to be of one mind and we cannot be of one mind even the religions in this country you have the muslims and you have the buddhists and you have baha'i and you have the mormons and you have the jehovah witnesses and you have the christians and then you have the presbyterians and united methodists and the catholics and the protestant you have all of these different groups but we have to be able to come together with one mind 
you know, and Satan works by dividing and conquer. Divide the people and conquer them. That's why even Chuck Smith used to say, focus on what unites us, not on what divides us. And we want to be of the same mind. Culturally speaking, and you know I like to bring up the culture, it's good to be of one mind as far as marriage is concerned. Now, twice in Scripture, at least twice, it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And God instituted, brought into being the institution of marriage. What is marriage today? I have no idea. I am going to give you some examples here. Now, first it was just gay marriage, right? Have a gay marriage. I have references here. One marriage, uh, one woman, she's into sologamy. And you go, what in the world is sologamy? Well, you know what monogamy is, right? Monogamy is one person with one person. Polyamory is several people together. Sologamy is sologamy. She married herself. What? She married herself. I also have this one. I couldn't believe it. A man married an alligator down in Mexico. You can look it up. I'm not kidding you. A man married an alligator. Another woman, she married the Eiffel Tower. There's several more. It's like, what is marriage? If we can't even agree on what marriage is, we're doomed. And yet people, they're allowed to participate in this stuff. Instead of people calling them out, and this woman who, uh, she married the Eiffel Tower, she changed her last name to Eiffel, and her, her family and friends disowned her, you think? I mean, this is a mental disorder, and yet we're just saying, well, you know, if it works for you, it's okay. We, that's where we stand up and we say, no. Marriage is between a man and a woman. God established it both in the book of Genesis and in the New Testament. A man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. And we need to be able to stand up and just say, no, that's what marriage is. All else is just fantasy. So the points I'm giving you here, be in fellowship, study to show yourself approved, train yourself to be godly, stand for truth, be willing to suffer, learn to discern a lie, and Consider another one, consider others better than yourselves and serve them. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, Matthew 23, verse 11. The greatest in God's kingdom is a servant of all. And the last one, cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we do these things, we are disciples of Jesus. If we say, no, I'll take three or four of those, but I'm not going to take all of them. And there are several more in Scripture. We could have kept on going here. But it's the idea of just selling out, like Richard Wormer and his wife, Sabrina. They were willing, she was willing to give up her husband for the sake of Christ. And he was willing to go for the sake of Christ at the behest of his wife. Can we live like that? I think we can. Will we have to? I don't know that we'll have to. But certainly, we need to be willing. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the example in Scripture of Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, Apollos, those other people listed in Paul's letters, how they were just sold out for you. Richard and his 
wife, Sabrina, who were Jews, and he became a priest, Lord. May we have that kind of devotion, that type of temperament, the willingness to go out there and just do whatever you would call us to do and help us not to shrink back. We have put our hands to the plow and help us to put our foreheads down and our shoulders back and go forward. And as the world goes from bad to worse, I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, through those who are around us as we maintain fellowship at your request. In Jesus' name, and the church send. Amen. Amen. Please stand.